Number 1. The Messenger of God, Prophet Muhammad ibn Abdullah. How can people in this world grasp his reality? They who are asleep and pleased by dreams from him. How beautiful what has been said about his reality. Your light is everything and everything else is particles. O Prophet, your soldiers in any time are your companions. Imam Busairi, Alberta. The sheikhs of the Naqshbandi order are known as the golden chain because of their connection to the highest, most perfect human being, Muhammad, the first to be created, the first to be mentioned, the first to be honoured. When God ordered the pen to write, it asked, What shall I write? And God said, Write, La ilaha illallah. The pen wrote La ilaha illallah for seventy thousand of God's years, and then it stopped. One of God's days is equal to one thousand of our years. Then God ordered it to write again, and the pen asked, What shall I write? And God answered, Write Muhammadan Rasulullah. And the pen said, O God, who is this Muhammad that you have put your name next to his name? God said, You must know that if it were not for Muhammad, I would not have created anything in creation. So the pen wrote Muhammadan Rasulullah for another 70,000 years. When did God order the pen to write? When did the pen write? When did that writing of La ilaha illallah Muhammadan Rasulullah occur? No one knows. The mention of the name of the Prophet by God, Almighty and Exalted, is something which happened before the creation of anything, and its reality occurred in pre-eternity. That is the reason the Prophet mentioned I was a prophet when Adam was between water and clay. He is the perfect human being. He is the seal of all prophets and messengers. What can a weak servant say in order to honor the master of messengers? If it were not for him, no one would ever have known God, almighty and exalted. Never would the fabric of the universe have been woven into existence as it has been woven. Therefore the pen cannot describe the most perfect of human beings, the master of masters, the king of kings, the sultan of sultans of the divine presence. He is the heart of the divine presence. He is the heart of the unique essence he is the sign for oneness and the sign of oneness. He is known as the secret of all secrets. He is the only one addressed by God, Almighty and Exalted, because he is the only one considered responsible in the presence of God, who said, Were it not for him, I would not have created any of my creation. All of the creation was given to the Prophet as a divine gesture of honor from God, Almighty and Exalted. Therefore the Prophet is responsible for that creation, which is his honor and his trust. For that reason, he is the only one to be addressed in the Divine Presence. The singular status of the Prophet is the heart and the essence of the phrase of monotheism, namely, there is no God but God, Muhammad is the messenger of God, and the foundation of Sufism. The Prophet is the one soul mentioned in the Quranic verse, O humanity, your creation and your resurrection is in no wise 
but as an individual soul. Quran, chapter 31, verse 28. It is also the Prophet who is the single life represented in the verse, If anyone slew a person, it would be as if he slew the whole of humanity. And if anyone saved a life, it would be as if he saved the life of the whole of humanity. Quran, chapter 5, verse 32. The Prophet, moreover, referred to his responsibility in the tradition, All your actions are shown to me every day. If they are good, I pray for you. If they are bad, I ask God's forgiveness for you. That means that the Prophet is the one who is responsible towards God for his community. That is why, as we said, he is the only one to be spoken to. It is the basis of intercession. God refers to this intercession in the verse, If they had only, when they were unjust to themselves, come unto thee and ask God's forgiveness, and the messenger had asked forgiveness for them, they would have found God indeed oft returning, most merciful. Quran, chapter 4, verse 64. His honourable biography and his blessed speeches and actions can never be encompassed in a book. But we can say that he is Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib ibn Hashim and that his lineage goes back to Abraham. He was born in Blessed Mecca on a Monday, the 12th of Rabi'ul Awal, 570 current era, in the year of the elephant. His father died before he was born. His mother, Amina, when she gave birth to him, saw a light coming from her that turned all darkness into light as far as Persia. When he was born, the first thing he did after coming from his mother's womb was to fall into prostration. He was nursed by Thueba, and then by Halima Asadia, with whom he stayed for four years. While returning with him from a visit to his uncles in Medina, at that time known as Yathrib, his mother fell sick and died. He was six years old. His grandfather raised him for two years until his grandfather also died. Often three times he went to live with his uncle Abu Talib. God, almighty and exalted, ordered the angel of the trumpet, Israfil, to accompany him at all times until the age of eleven years. Then God ordered Gabriel to accompany him, to look after him, to keep him in his safekeeping, and to send to his heart the heavenly and spiritual powers. He travelled with his uncle to Damascus. On their way they passed by Bostra, where a monk named Bahira, living in a monastery nearby, recognised him as a prophet and told Muhammad's uncle, Take him back, it will be safer for him. Great things are in store for him. At that time he was twelve years old. Years later, he travelled again to Sham with Maisara to trade on behalf of the Lady Khadija. They were very successful. Maisara told Khadija about his miraculous powers and his business acumen. She became interested in him. She proposed marriage and he accepted her offer. He married her when he was twenty-five years of age and she was forty. He was known throughout his tribe as the truthful and the trustworthy one. When he was thirty-five years old, the Quraysh tribe was renovating the house of God, the Kaaba. 
They disputed amongst themselves as to who should place the sacred black stone in its place. They finally came to an agreement that the most trustworthy person should replace it, and that person was the prophet. At that time, inspirations came to his heart. He was always in a state of spiritual vision and insight, but he was not authorized to speak about it. He preferred to be alone. He used a cave in the mountain called Alhira for contemplation and meditation. He sought seclusion as the means to reach the divine presence of God, almighty and exalted. He avoided all kinds of attachment, even with his family. He was always in meditation and contemplation, afloat on the ocean of the thicker of the heart. He disconnected himself completely from everything until there appeared to him the light of God, almighty and exalted, which graced him with the condition of complete intimacy and happiness. That intimacy allowed the mirror of revelation to increase in purity and brightness until he attained to the highest state of perfection, where he observed the dawning of a new creation. The primordial signs of beauty shone forth to spread and decorate the universe. Trees, stones, earth, the stars, the sun, the moon, the clouds, wind, rain, and animals would greet him in perfect Arabic speech and say, "Assalamu alaikum, ya Rasulullah. Peace be upon you, O Prophet of God." At forty years of age, when standing on the mountain of Hira, there appeared on the horizon a figure he did not recognize. Who said to him, "O Muhammad, I am Gabriel, and you are the Prophet of God, whom He has sent to this community." Then he handed him a piece of silk which was decorated with jewels. He put it in his hand and told him, "Recite." He asked, "What should I recite?" He hugged the Prophet and told him, "Recite." He again said, "What should I recite?" He hugged him again and said, "Recite in the name of your Lord, who created, created the human being out of a blood clot. Recite, and your Lord is most bountiful, who has taught with the pen, taught the human being what he knew not." Quran, chapter ninety-six, verses one through five. Then he ordered him to climb down the mountain to the plains below. He placed him on a large white stone, and gave him two green robes. Gabriel hit the earth with his feet. Immediately, a spring poured forth. The angel made ablutions with it, and ordered him to do the same. Gabriel took a handful of water and threw it on the face of the prophet. Sufi saints say that the water that he threw was a sign that the prophet was granted authority to spread the knowledge of the secrets of God's divine presence to human beings, either by physical or by spiritual means. He prayed two cycles of prayer and told the prophet, "This is the way to worship," and he disappeared. The prophet returned to Mecca and told his wife all that had occurred. She believed him and became the first Muslim. She went with the prophet to Waraka ibn Naufal, her uncle, who was considered a knowledgeable person in spirituality. The prophet told him what had happened. Waraka ibn Naufal said. This is the Holy Spirit which descended on Moses. 
He said, Would that I be alive when your people expel you from Mecca. The Prophet asked, Are my people going to put me out of Mecca? He said, Yes, that is what is written. Ali ibn Abu Talib, who was a young boy at the time living with the Prophet, accepted Islam, and Abu Bakr became the first adult male believer. In public, the Prophet gave guidance needed for daily life. In private, he would give the special advice needed for attaining the state of excellence or perfect good character. That is why Abu Huraira said in an authentic tradition mentioned in Bukhari, The Prophet has poured into my heart two kinds of knowledge. One I have spread to people, and the other, if I were to share it, they would cut my throat. The knowledge Abu Huraira referred to is the hidden secret knowledge that the Prophet gave to his companions. He did not authorize them to spread that knowledge because it is the secret knowledge of the heart. From these secrets, all masters of the Naqshbandi Golden Chain and other Sufi orders receive their knowledge. This knowledge was transmitted only from heart to heart, either through Abu Bakr of Siddiq or through Ali. For three years, as the Muslims increased in number, they used Dar al-Arkam as a mosque in which to teach, to worship, and to hide. Then the Prophet was ordered to proclaim the religion openly. God sent a verse of the Quran challenging anyone to write anything like it. Poets, leaders, and famous people tried until they openly accepted the self-evident fact that it was not possible. Still the unbelievers went to his uncle, Abu Talib, complaining, saying, Give us Muhammad so we may kill him. He said, No one can touch him as long as I am alive. The unbelievers tortured the weak ones among those who did believe him. They kidnapped their wives, killed their children, and raped their daughters. The new Muslims suffered all kinds of difficulties at the hands of the unbelievers. For thirteen years the Prophet stayed in Mecca, calling the people to God's religion. The unbelievers asked for a miracle or sign in the heavens. The Holy Prophet divided the full moon in two before their eyes. Some of them believed and some of them did not. After this, the torture continued, and some Muslims asked permission to emigrate. They emigrated to Ethiopia, where the king gave them refuge, and through their influence became a believer in the Prophet. They stayed there for five years before some of them returned to Mecca. Then the Prophet's uncle, Abu Talib, and wife, Khadija al-Kubra, his staunchest supporters, died in the same year. It was called the Year of Sadness. A year and a half later, he was called to the presence of God, Almighty and Exalted. He traveled, accompanied by Gabriel, from Mecca to Jerusalem. He ascended to the heavens from Jerusalem by means of Burak, a heavenly mount who carried him up. All the prophets in the different levels of heaven came to greet him. He ascended higher and higher until he heard the scratching of the pen writing out God's decree. He approached the Divine Presence closer and closer until Gabriel said to him, O Messenger of God, I cannot continue further or I will be extinguished. The Prophet said, O Gabriel, accompany me. He said, I cannot, or I will be burned in God's light. So Muhammad, the most perfect of the perfect, 
continued alone. Driven by his love for God's divine presence, he approached closer and closer, achieving the state of complete annihilation in five different stages. The Prophet moved from one stage to another in God's divine secrets. Between each stage was five hundred thousand years. He passed through these vast divine oceans of knowledge which God Almighty and Exalted has created until he was completely dissolved in God's existence, seeing nothing except him. Then God called him to return to existence after he had reached the state of annihilation. He returned and God told him, O Muhammad, approach closer. From this it is understood that the Prophet, having reached the state of complete annihilation, was called by God by his name, indicating that he was appearing anew with God's appearance. He reached so near to the divine light that he was two bow lengths or nearer. Quran chapter 53 verse 9 God asked him, Who are you, O Muhammad? At that time the Prophet was not conscious of himself and he replied, You, O my Lord. This is the perfection of the state of not associating anyone with God. It is the perfect sign of monotheism, oneness, where nothing exists except his glory, his essence, himself. Sheikh Nazim al-Haqqani has related from the hidden knowledge of the Sufi saints some of the events that occurred on that incredible journey of the Prophet. This is knowledge from the Prophet which Abu Huraira referred to in his tradition, knowledge passed down from the heart of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. The Prophet said, Whatever God poured into my heart, I poured into the heart of as-Siddiq. This knowledge was then passed to the Naqshbandi Sufi saints and constitutes their spiritual inheritance. Sheikh Nazim al-Haqqani said, God, Almighty and Exalted, said to the Prophet on the night of ascension, O Muhammad, I have created all of creation for your sake, and I am giving it all to you. At that moment God granted the Prophet the power to see all that he had created, with all of their lights and favors that God had granted his creatures, by decorating them with his attributes and with his divine love and beauty. Muhammad was enthralled and enraptured because God had given him the gift of such a creation. God said to him, O Muhammad, are you happy with this creation? He said, Yes, my Lord. He said, I am giving them to you in trust to keep, to be responsible for, and to return to me just as I gave them to you. Muhammad looked at them in delight because they were illuminated with beautiful lights. He said, O my Lord, I accept. God said, Do you accept? He replied, I accept, I accept. As he finished replying the third time, God granted him a vision of the sins and the many forms of misery, darkness and ignorance into which they were going to fall. When Muhammad saw this, he was dismayed, wondering how he would be able to return them to his Lord as pure as in their original state. He said, O oh my Lord, what is this? God replied, O oh my beloved, this is your responsibility. You have to return them to me as pure as I gave them to you. Then Muhammad said, O oh my Lord, give me helpers to help me purify them, to sanctify their spirits, 
and to take them from darkness and ignorance to the state of knowledge, of piety, of peace and love. Then God, almighty and exalted, granted him a vision in which he informed him that out of this creation he had chosen for him seven thousand and seven Nakshabandi saints. He told him, O my beloved, O Muhammad, these saints are from the most distinguished saints that I created to help you in keeping this creation pure. Out of them are three hundred and thirteen who are in the highest, most perfect state in the Divine Presence. They are the inheritors of the secrets of three hundred and thirteen messengers. Then I am giving you forty who are carrying the most distinguished powers. They are considered the pillars of all saints. They are going to be the masters of their times. They are going to be the inheritors of the secrets of reality. At the hands of these saints, everyone will be healed from his wounds, both externally and internally. These saints will be able to carry the whole community and the whole of creation without any sign of tiring. Every one of them will be the arch-intercessor in his time, under whom will be the five spiritual poles. The Prophet was happy, and he said, O oh my Lord, give me more. Then God showed him one hundred and twenty-four thousand saints, and he said, These saints are the inheritors of the one hundred and twenty-four thousand prophets. Each one is an inheritor from one prophet. They also will be there to help you purify this community. While the Prophet was ascending to the Divine Presence, God made him hear a human voice. The voice was that of his friend and closest companion, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. The Prophet was told by God Almighty to order Abu Bakr al-Siddiq to call the Naqshbandi saints, the forty, the three hundred and thirteen, and the seven thousand and seven, and all their followers in their spiritual forms into the Divine Presence. All were to receive those distinguished lights and blessings. Then God ordered the Prophet, who ordered Abu Bakr, to call the 124,000 saints of the other forty Sufi ways and their followers to be given that light in the Divine Presence. All of the sheikhs began to appear in that gathering with all of their followers. God then asked the Prophet to look at them with his prophetic power and light and to lift them all to the station of the trustworthy and the truthful. God, almighty and exalted, said to the Prophet, and the Prophet said to the saints, All of you, and all of your followers are going to be stars shining among human beings to spread that light which I gave you in pre-eternity to all human beings on earth. Sheikh Muhammad Nazim al-Hakani says, That is only one of the secrets that has been revealed about the night of ascension to the hearts of the saints through the transmission of the golden chain of the Naqshbandi order. Many more visions were given to the Prophet, but there is no permission to unveil them. That night, the Prophet was ordered by God to perform fifty prescribed prayers a day. He asked that God shorten it to five prescribed prayers a day on the advice of the Prophet Moses. He returned from that night journey, and the first one to believe him was Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. The unbelievers, hoping to ridicule him, asked him to describe Jerusalem. He described it in all its details. The unbelievers were humiliated.
persecution against the prophet and his companions escalated. Then God sent him the helpers from Medina. Islam had begun to spread among the tribes of this small oasis not far from Mecca. God gave the believers permission to emigrate to Medina, the home of the helpers. Abu Bakr wanted to emigrate, but Muhammad told him, Do not leave yet. Wait, and maybe you will travel with me. There is a very important event which must take place. The Prophet departed at night with Abu Bakr and left behind him Ali to impersonate him in his bed. On the way he stopped to hide in the cave of Thawr. Abu Bakr said, O Prophet, do not enter, I will enter first. In his heart he thought that there might be something harmful inside. He chose to encounter it first. He found a hole in the cave. He called the Prophet to come in while he put his foot over the hole. The Prophet came in and lay down with his head on Abu Bakr's thigh. A snake inside the hole began to bite the foot of Abu Bakr. He tried not to move, although he was in great pain. Tears flowed down his cheeks. One warm tear dropped on the blessed face of the Prophet. At this, as was mentioned in the Quran, he said to his friend, Grieve not, for verily God is with us. Quran chapter 9 verse 40 He also said, What do you think of two when God is their third? Bukhari Abu Bakr said to the Prophet, O Prophet of God, I am not sad, but I am in pain. A snake is biting my foot, and I am worried that it might bite you. I am crying because my heart is burning for you and for your safety. The Prophet was so pleased with this reply from his beloved companion that he hugged Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, put his hand on his heart, and poured the knowledge that God had given him into the heart of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. That is why he said in a tradition, Whatever God poured into my heart, I poured into the heart of Abu Bakr. Sheikh Muhammad Nazim al-Haqqani, describing some of the secrets given to the Naqshbandi saints, says, Following this, the Prophet put his other hand on the foot of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and recited, in the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate, and the foot was immediately healed. Then he ordered the snake to come out, and the snake came out, coiling itself in front of the prophet. Then the prophet said to the snake, Do you not know that the flesh of a siddiq is forbidden to you? Why are you eating the flesh of my companion? He replied to the prophet, in perfect and pure Arabic, O Prophet of God, were not all things created for your sake and for your love? O Prophet, I too love you. When I heard that God Almighty and Exalted said that the best community is your community, I asked him to prolong my life to grant me the honor of being from your community and to look at your face. God granted me that wish and that honor. When Abu Bakr put his foot in that hole, it blocked my sight. I wanted him to move his foot to enable me to see you. The Prophet said, Look at me now and fulfill your wish. The snake looked and looked. After a while it died. The Prophet ordered the jinn to carry the snake away and bury it. Then the Prophet said to Abu Bakr, There was no need to stop in this cave, except that a significant event will happen here. The light of the root of the spiritual tree, which is going to spread over all humanity, the light coming directly from the Divine Presence, will appear here. God has ordered me to transmit it to you, 
and to all the Naqshbandi Sufi followers. This lineage was not called the Naqshbandi at that time, but it was known as the children of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, and he was known to the saints as father of this line. God asked the Prophet to order Abu Bakr as-Siddiq to call all the masters of this golden chain who are the inheritors of Abu Bakr. The latter called the grand sheikhs of this golden chain, all of them, from his time down to the time of the Mahdi. All of them were called through their spirits from the world of souls. Then he was ordered to call the 7,007 Naqshbandi saints. Then the Prophet called the 124,000 prophets. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, by order of the Prophet, ordered every Grand Sheikh to summon all his followers to appear spiritually. Then Abu Bakr as-Siddiq ordered all the Sheikhs to take the hands of their followers to receive initiation. He put his hand above them all. Muhammad put his hand above all of them. God put his hand, the hand of power, over them all. God, by himself, put on the tongue of everyone present his recitation. He told the Prophet to order Abu Bakr as-Siddiq to order all the saints present with their followers to recite what they were hearing from the voice of power. Allahu, 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 Haq. Allahu, 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 Haq. Allahu, 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 Haq. All of those present followed their sheikhs. The sheikhs followed what they heard the Prophet reciting. God Almighty and Exalted taught the secret of the dhikr, known as Khatam al-Khwajakan, recitation of the masters, to Abdul Khaliq al-Gujduwani, who led the first zikr among the saints of this order. The Prophet announced to Abu Bakr, who announced to all saints, that Abdul Khaliq al-Gujduwani is the leader of the Khatam al-Khwajagan. Everyone was honored to receive that secret and light from Khwaja Abdul Khaliq al-Gujduwani in the presence of all saints, in the presence of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, in the presence of the Prophet, in the presence of God, Almighty and Exalted. Anyone who accepts initiation from us or attends our zikr must know that he was in that cave at that blessed time, in the presence of the Prophet, and that he received all of these secrets then. These secrets have been transmitted to us from the masters of the golden chain through Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq was overjoyed and astounded with what took place in the cave. He understood why the Prophet had chosen him to be the companion of his emigration. The Naqshbandi sheikhs considered the events in the cave as the foundation of the spiritual way. Not only is it the source of the daily devotion, but the souls of all members of the order were present together at that time. After the events in the cave, they continued on to Medina. When they reached Kuba, a village near Medina, on a Monday in Rabiul Awal, they stopped for several days. There the Prophet built the first mosque. They continued on their way on a Friday, after praying the first Friday congregational prayer at Kuba. He entered Medina with his friend amid shouts of Allahu Akbar and praise belongs to God and the excited, joyful happiness of everyone. He moved to the place his camel stopped. It is there that he built his mosque and his home. He stayed as a guest in the home of 
Abu Ayyub al-Ansari until his mosque was built. When the Prophet went to Medina, it was full of diseases. As soon as he arrived, the diseases disappeared. Chronology of the Prophet's years in Medina Year 1 The Prophet was inspired to call the people to prayer by means of the human voice, Adhan. Year 2 He was ordered to institute the monthly fast of Ramadan. He was directed to face the Kaaba in Mecca during prayers instead of towards Jerusalem as they had done previously. It was the year that he fought the unbelievers in the decisive Battle of Badr. Year 3 The Prophet fought the unbelievers at Ahad. Year 4 The Battle of Bani Nadir took place and permission was given for shortening the prayer during travelling and fighting. Alcohol was forbidden. Dry ablution when water is not available was allowed and the prayer of fear was authorized. Year 5 The Battle of Kandak took place and the defection of the Banu Khoreza and Mustalik occurred. Year 6 The Treaty of Hudaybiyah took place as did the Pledge of Loyalty, the model of Sufi initiation, under the tree. The fifth pillar of the religion, the obligation of the prescribed pilgrimage, also came in this year. Year 7 The Battle of Khaybar took place. Year 8 The events of Mutta the peaceful conquest of Mecca and the Battle of Hunayn occurred. Year 9 The Battle of Tabuk occurred and the pilgrimage of Asidik. It was called the Year of Delegations. Year 10 The Prophet made what is known as the Farewell Pilgrimage. Year 11 the Prophet passed on to the other life. Description of the Holy Prophet's Features God, Almighty and Exalted, adorned the Prophet with his divine lights and manners. Then he added more by saying to him, Truly you are of a sublime nature. Quran, chapter 68, verse 4. The Prophet was neither tall nor short, but he was of middle height. He had broad shoulders. His color was light, neither dark nor white. He had a broad forehead, with heavy eyebrows, not connected, but with a blaze shining like silver in the middle of them. His eyes were large. His teeth were very white, like pearls. His hair was not curly, nor was it straight, but in between. His neck was long. His chest was broad, without much flesh. The color of his chest was light, and between his sternum and his navel was a line of hair. He had no hair on his chest other than that line. His shoulders were wide and had hair on them. On his shoulders were two seals of prophecy. All his companions used to look at them. The right shoulder had a black beauty mark and around it were a few hairs, like the hairs of a horse. His forearms were large. His wrists were long. His fingers were also long. His palm was smoother than silk. 
Whenever he put his hand on the head of a child or a man, the beautiful scent of musk came from it. Wherever he moved, a cloud moved with him that shaded him from the heat of the sun. His sweat was like white pearls, and its smell was like amber and musk. The companions said that they had never seen anything like it before. The holy prophet used to look down more than he raised his head. Whoever saw him from afar was amazed by him. Whoever knew him intimately loved him. He was the most handsome, both in his external appearance and his internal appearance. Amr ibn al-Az said, "No one was dearer to me than the holy prophet, nor was anyone more glamorous than him in my eyes. So bright was his glory that I could not look at his face for any length of time, so that if I were asked to describe him, I would not be able to do so, as I had not looked at him long enough." The prophet was the bravest among people, the most just and the most generous. He used to walk alone among his enemies at night without a guard. He was never afraid of anything in this world. He was the most modest of men, the most sincere, and the most pious. He never spoke just to spend time. He preferred silence to speech. And never showed pride, although he was the most eloquent speaker. God gave the prophet mastery in politics and mastery in private conduct. Although he did not read or write, God raised him from the land of ignorance, taught him the best of manners and the best of ethics. He was the gentlest of men, the most tolerant. The most merciful, as God Himself called him, kindest and most merciful, Quran chapter nine verse one hundred and twenty-eight. He smiled at everyone and joked with everyone in a decent way. Alone, he cried and entreated God for forgiveness for his community. He was continuously in a state of meditation and contemplation. He used to sit often and remember God by reciting zikr. He used to walk with the widow and the orphan. He showed humbleness to unbelievers, wishing them to become believers. Someone asked him to pray for God to curse the unbelievers. He said, "I was not sent to curse, but as a mercy." I will ask for them to be guided because they do not know. He called everyone to God. He never humiliated the poor. He was never afraid of a king. He always chose the easy way according to God's wish. Quran, chapter two, verse one hundred and eighty-five, and Quran, chapter twenty, verse two. He laughed without making a sound, not out loud. He always said, "Serve your people." He used to milk his goats, serve his family, patch his clothes. He walked sometimes barefooted to visit the sick, even if they were unbelievers or hypocrites. He visited the graves of believers and greeted them. Trained with the sword and the bow and arrow, rode the horse, the camel, and the donkey. He used to eat with the poor. He always accepted a gift graciously, even if it was a spoonful of yogurt, and he used to reward it. He never ate from charity, but immediately passed it on to the poor. He never kept one dinar or one dirham in his house, except to give it to the poor. He never came home until he had spent all that God had given him.
He was very good to his family and to his friends. He urged his friends to walk in front of him, and he walked behind them. He said, "Leave my back for angels." His companionship was the companionship of patience and modesty. Whoever argued with him saw patience from him. He did not reply to those who insulted him. He never came against anyone in anger, nor ever used bad language. He was never angry for himself, and was only angry for his lord's sake. He used to eat with his servants. He never slapped anyone with his hand. He never punished for a mistake, but always forgave. His servant Anas said, "In all my life, he never asked me once, 'Why did you do this?' or 'Why did you not do that?'" The clothes of the holy prophet. He used to wear whatever he found, cotton or wool, but mostly he used to wear cotton. He liked green clothes. Abu Huraira says he wore long, loose shirts, the cloaks, the wrap, and the robe. He wore the turban with a face veil and loose ended, the waist wrapper, sarong, and the gown. Jabir ibn Samura says, "I saw the Prophet on a moonlit night. He had a red cloak over his body. I looked attentively in turn towards him and the moon. Certainly, he appeared to me more beautiful than the moon itself. He used to wear a white turban, a black turban, and sometimes a red turban." He used to leave a tail at the back of his turban. Imam Tabari said, "He used to have a turban of seven arms' length. He had a turban called the clouds, which he gave to Ali. He used to wear a silver ring on his right hand, engraved with the words Muhammadan Rasulullah." He used to wear leather socks on his feet. He liked perfumes and fragrant scents. He never sought ease and comfort. He never possessed even a bed, as he wished to make his abode in the next world. His mattress was made from tree leaves. He had a big cloak which he used to put on the floor and sit on. Sometimes he used to sleep on a reed mat or directly on the floor. The miracles of the holy prophet. He was a healer for himself and for others. He used to heal by reciting the Quran for the sick person. He warned people to avoid too much eating. He performed countless miracles. He prayed that Ali not feel the hot and cold weather, and he never felt them. He prayed for Ibn Abbas to be a genius in religion, jurisprudence, and explanation of the Quran, which came to pass. When Qutada's eye fell out of its socket, he put it back. And Kutada was able to see with it better than he ever had before. He rubbed the foot of Ibn Abi Atik when it was broken, and it was healed immediately. The moon split on his order as a sign to the unbelievers. Water sprang forth from his fingers, from which a whole army drank and made ablution. Water poured forth from a small cup of water, making the desert into an oasis. The branch of a tree under which he sat 
bowed in a gesture of love as he stood up to leave. The mimbar from which he preached used to give a moaning sound as if crying for him. The stones in his hand praised God so that everyone heard them. The animals complained to him. The deer and the wolf witnessed his prophethood. He predicted that his daughter Fatima would be the first to follow him in death. He foretold that Uthman dun Narain, his third rightly guided caliph and son-in-law, would be assassinated. He announced the murder of Al-Aswad ibn Anas on the night of his death in Sana'a in far-off Yemen. He mentioned the death of the king of Persia to his companions at the exact moment that it happened. He ate meat full of poison, but nothing happened to him, though the one who ate with him died immediately. Countless other miracles could be mentioned. The Sayings of the Holy Prophet No one can make a complete account of his sayings. Even if the seas of this world were ink and the trees were pens, no one could encompass all the wisdom of the Prophet Muhammad. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of his traditions, narrated sayings, have been compiled. It is known as the science of the traditions. He said, God rewards people according to what they achieve. God said, Whoever comes against one of my saints, I will declare war against him. God's saints are under his domes. No one knows them except him. Be near the poor, meaning the spiritual poor, because they have a government of their own. Be in this world as a stranger and a guest. Make the mosques your homes. Teach your heart leniency. Recite the remembrance of God much, and cry much. How many people welcome a day whose end they will not live to see and expect a tomorrow which they will not reach? Speak the truth, even if it be to your detriment. Make everything easy. Do not make it difficult. Give good tidings and do not cause people to run away. God said, O son of Adam, you will get what you have intended and you will be with the one whom you love more. Keep God and he will keep you. Keep God before you. If you need help, ask his help. Be austere in this lower world and God will love you. Be austere with what is in the hands of people and the people will love you. The one who has the most perfect mind is the one who is most fearful of God. Beware of the lower world because it is black magic. Refrain from speaking except what is good. Give back the trust and do not betray it. When God loves someone, he will put him in difficulties. When God wants good for his servant, he will guide him to someone that shows him the way.
Forgive others and God will forgive you. Be merciful and God will be merciful towards you. The one under the heaviest punishment on the day of judgment is a scholar devoid of compassion. The one under the heaviest punishment on the day of judgment is a scholar whose knowledge did not benefit him. Ask God forgiveness and health. Keep what you are doing secret. The most sinful person is the one whose tongue is always lying. All of creation is a servant of God. The most beloved to him among them is the one that helped his brothers. The best deed is when people will be safe from your tongue and your hand. As long as you say, there is no God but God, it will lift God's punishment from you and change you for the good. O people, are you not ashamed that you collect more than you can eat and that you build more houses than you need to live in? The Death of the Holy Prophet When God, Almighty and Exalted, perfected his community and completed his favor on his prophet, he transferred him to a house better than his house, and to a friend better than his friends. God called his soul in his last days. As a result, his final sickness began in the last ten days of the month of Safar, in the house of his wife Maimuna. When his sickness intensified, he moved to the house of Aisha. He was sick for twelve days. He used to send Abu Bakr al-Siddiq to lead the prayers as a sign to the companions that he had chosen him as his successor. He passed away on a Monday, the 12th of Rabiul Awal, 11 Hijra year, 632 current era. Wrapped in his nightgown, he was washed by Ali, Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, and Abbas's two sons, Kutham and Fadl. Usama ibn Zaid and Shahran poured the water which Aus Kasraji bought from the well. As they performed the washing, the body exuded beautiful scents, so that Ali said continually, By God, what I would give for you! How sweet you are and how wholesome you are, both alive and dead! His companions entered his house one by one to pray for him. Then the women prayed for him. Then children prayed for him. He was buried in the same place he passed away, in the house of Aisha. Abu Talha Zayd ibn Sal dug his grave, and those who washed him lowered his blessed body into it. Then it was covered and leveled, and they threw water on it. People were bereaved. Tongues were silent. The world seemed darkened. No one knew what to say. The Holy Spirit, the angel Gabriel, was no longer to bring revelation because Prophet Muhammad was the seal of prophets. The Prophet's death was the greatest disaster for every companion. Many people cried and shouted. But God sent supporters for his religion. He sent a renewer of this religion century after century. Saint after saint 
we find that every grand sheikh of the most distinguished Naqshbandi order was like a shadow of the Prophet, reviving the religion and training the seekers to find their Lord as the companions had been trained. The secret of God's strong support and pure guidance passed from Muhammad to his beloved friend Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. What the Prophet poured into the heart of Abu Bakr, no one knows. May God send upon our Prophet more and more of his light. He was sent as a mercy for human beings, and his secret passed from one saint to another to support this religion and to bring his secret to the hearts of human beings.